1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires
1: downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC. Well, hello there and welcome along to this very special lighter than air edition of Attaboy Clarence, where this time it's all about Fred and Gingerman. My God, the music, the dancing, the romance, the sets, the supporting players. Every single inch from top to bottom was a gorgeous experience. I'll be waltzing you through three Fred and Ginger adventures later on in the show, as well as treating you to some of the finest songs they ever made popular.
3: Come on, all you boys and girls, hurry to become good luck mascots for a real army pilot. Yep. Yep. We invite this whole gang shebang to be mascots for a fighting and flying pilot of a North American B-25 bomber. A real bomber, mind you, not any make-believe.
1: Yeah, come on, kids, war is fun.
3: As mascot, you get to have your name and good luck message, go to war with the daring pilot of a B-25 as he flies to blast the Jackson Nazis. Oh, boy, think of your name right there in that crew compartment when your battle bird drops his bombs. That makes you his good luck mascot. Whee! What a thrill for you. Wee!
1: You want to know the best thing about this? Someone had to write that word, we, on a piece of paper and give it to a man who then looked at it and said, Ah,
3: what? We make this wonderful offer to help sell more war stamps. And that means more bombs for Uncle Sam's brave air fighters.
1: Score!
3: And so the world will know that you are an army pilot's good luck mascot. You can also get these two important gifts. First... A big, beautiful color picture of the North American B-25 bomber high in the clouds flying full clip over dangerous mountain country. This breathtaking picture has your personal shield of honor certifying that your name and good luck message have gone to war in a B-25. This was an
1: actual prize.
3: And we also send you a handsome button, a big bonanza to wear on your coat lapel, proudly showing that you are a pilot's good luck mascot. The button goes to boys and girls alike. This remarkable offer, the first and only one of its kind, is made to help the sale of war stamps and also to get you acquainted with Quaker Puffed Rice Sparkies and Quaker Puffed Wheat Sparkies, those delicious, nutritious breakfast cereals shot from guns.
1: Yay! Breakfast and guns and breakfasts! Yay! Oh my god! Why don't people advertise Cocoa Pops like this?
3: Yes, shot from guns, bursting forth with gigantic grains of goodness. Just write this sentence on a piece of paper. I promise to buy a new war-saving stamp within a week and sign your name and address to it. In exchange for this patriotic promise, the Army Air Forces permit us to have your name as you sign it on the piece of paper, enrolled on a microfilm scroll and given to the pilot of a North American B-25 bomber with this message. Good luck, and drop one on the Japs and Nazis for me. Every kid's dream. Mail your letter to Terry and the Pirates, Box Q, Chicago. <sighs> Did you get that? We the Navy
4: to, see the world, to
5: see the We saw the Pacific and the Atlantic But the Atlantic isn't romantic And the Pacific isn't what it's cracked up to be We joined the
6: Navy to do what I but we didn't do, and we didn't die.
7: We were much too busy looking at the ocean
6: and the sky. And what did we see?
7: We saw the sea. We saw the Atlantic and the Pacific. But the Pacific isn't terrific, and the Atlantic isn't what it's cracked up to be. They tell us
6: that the Admiral is as nice as he can be. But we never to see. We joined the Navy to see the girl.
7: And what did we see? We saw the sea. Instead of a girl or two in a taxi, we were compelled to look at the Black Sea. Seeing the Black Sea isn't what it's cracked up to be.
6: Showed us how to tie a sailor's knot, but more than that, they showed us the sea.
8: We
9: never get seasick sailing the ocean. In the ocean, we don't object to feeling the, the motion. motion, we're never seasick, but we are all, all
4: sick of
1: sea. sea. Fabulous, that was Fred Astaire with We Saw the Sea from Follow the Fire Hey, while I have your attention, I have a few fangs to point you towards. Thangs which have been making me swoon like crazy over the past few weeks. The first is the all-new podcast from Miss Gabriella Masson. Classic movie maestro Miss Masson. Yes, it's called You Won't Forget Me. And each episode will take a look at the life and career of Joan Crawford. The first episode tells the story of Torch Song tells you all about what was happening to Joan during the production of it, as well as the fascinating tales of those who helped to bring the story to the screen. So I do think you should rush out right now and get that. It's called You Won't Forget Me, and it's available in all good podcast directories immediately. The second podcast is Bill Watches Movies, created by the marvellous Mr. Bill Mize, who takes a movie from the classic era and tells you the story behind it, as well as a deep analysis of why the film does or does not work. The difference with this show is that Bill is very much a man after my own heart, in that he loves himself a B-movie. How much, you ask? Well, he's chosen as the film to launch this podcast, the 1959 sci-fi horror The Alligator People, starring Beverly Garland, Bruce Bennett, and Lon Chaney Jr. It's wonderful, and I'm looking forward to many more from Bill very soon. Lastly, my good friend Dominic Tulagi has just launched his new podcast, Soho Bites hosted by Professor Jing'an Young, a new podcast centering around films with the Soho spirits. Not only do Dom and Jing'an provide some amazing insights into the films, they also get out there and do the work. In the first episode, which is all about the small world of Sammy Lee, Dom interviews the chaps from realstreets.com, for example, which is a fascinating, if slightly inebriated, chat. And it's my pleasure to tell you that I'll be on a soon-to-be-aired episode in which I met Dom in a London pub to talk about two Alfred Hitchcock classics, so keep them peeled for that. But for now, let's throw the baton over to the stars of today's show, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, by far the most renowned dance pair in history and stars of 10 sparklingly wonderful movies made mainly in the 1930s and which I think perhaps epitomise best that rose-tinted champagne and art deco misty-eyed view we all love to visualise when we think of that era. Fred and Ginger movies are kind of a genre in themselves because no other stars seem to capture that formula in quite the same way that they did. And it's absolutely unrepeatable. You had to have Fred and you had to have Ginger. You had to have the production values that RKO gave to them. The directing talents of people like Mark Sandridge. The once-in-a-lifetime choreography of Astaire and Hermes Pan. And you had to have those supporting players. You had to have the music of Cole Porter and the Gershwins and Irving Berlin. And the films could only have been made at that time, that heavenly era just after the excesses of the 20s and just before the devastation of World War II. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime blend of these ingredients that made the Fred and Ginger movies so successful. Like I say, they're a genre all their own, and it's a genre you'll never see again. You still get comedies and musicals and horrors and dramas, but you don't get Fred and Ginger movies. These were, and are, a gift to cinema. The series began at RKO Studios in 1933 when Fred and Ginger were cast as supporting players in the Dolores del Rio musical Flying Down to Rio. You're
10: looking for a noodle in a haystack.
11: Oh, cookies!
1: Come on, we've got to think up an idea that'll pop that karaoke.
5: I know. Supposing we do a number with musical saws and we can end up by sawing honey in half.
12: (laughs) I'd much rather split a banana split three ways. Come on.
1: As a movie, it's not bad. But its most notable achievement is by far the fact that it catapulted Fred and Ginger to fame. I mean, they steal every single scene they're in. And they're both far more natural performers than either Del Rio or her love interest in the film Jean Raymond. I mean, by the time you get to the karaoke number, where Fred and Ginger dance on screen together for the first time, it's pretty clear who this film belongs to. So RKO wisely took the two out of the supporting players and tried them out on their own. The result was The Gay Divorcee, a test run of sorts, a romantic comedy set in and around some exotic European locations and based upon the hit stage play The Gay Divorce, which Astaire had been starring in on the London stage. Why the name change, you may ask? Well, the good old Hayes office, that's why. You see, it's fine for a divorcee to be gay and merry, oh yes, but for a divorce itself to be a happy affair, definite no-no. The gay divorcee for me is right up there in the Fred and Ginger top ten. I remember the first time I saw it, I actually cried with laughter in the first five minutes. There's an amazing gag, whereby Fred and his co-star, Edward Everett Horton, have just finished dinner in a Paris restaurant, and when the bill is presented, they both realise they've left their wallet back at the hotel, and so faced with the prospect of washing dishes all night to pay for their tab, Horton suggests a different way of settling things.
13: Uh, I I I have it, I have it. Look here, old chap. If my friend dances like Guy Holden, that proves he is Guy Holden, doesn't it? Quod erat demonstrandum. Go ahead, Guy. Dash them off a bit of a minuet or a polka or a scallop or something. Now, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm on
5: my vacation. I'm not going to do any dancing.
13: I've heard they make you wash dishes in Paris.
1: Yes, Fred is forced to get up and dance in front of the nightclub in order to prove his identity and each time he gets embarrassed and intimidated, he's urged on by Horton until he's ended up performing a huge tap routine on a full stomach and is absolutely exhausted. Only when the manager tears up the cheque does Horton then realise that his wallet was in his breast pocket all along. The film was such a hit that Astaire and Rogers were quickly hustled into a quick succession of co-starring roles Roberta, starring Irene Dunn, followed by Top Hat, which is perhaps their most well-known movie, and then Follow the Fleet, Swing Time, Shall We Dance, Carefree, The Story of Vernon and Irene Castle, and much later in 1949 for MGM, The Barclays of Broadway. I'm not going to tell the story of their careers today as I'm going to do an entire secret history of Hollywood series about them one day. Today's about the movies, the faces and the music and what music it was. Irving Berlin, George and Ira Gershwin and Cole Porter supplied some of the most enduring, most iconic film music ever created. You only have to look at Fred and Ginger's first hit together, The Gay Divorcee, which features one of Cole Porter's most famous songs, originally written for the stage play and then taken to the screen, and a song that's become a standard ever since.
6: of the stately clock as it stands against the wall. Like the drip, drip, drip of the raindrops when the summer shower is through. So a voice within me keeps repeating you, 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 night and day. You are the one. Only you beneath the moon and under the Whether near to me or far It's no matter, darling, where you are I think of you Night and day Day and night Why is it so That this longing for you Follows wherever I go In the roaring traffic's boom In the silence of my lonely room, I think of you. Night and day, night and day, Under the height of me, There's an old such a hungry yearning burning inside of me. And its torment won't be through. Will you let me spend my life making love to you day and night, night and day? A hungry yearning burning inside of me And its torment won't be through Till you let me spend my life making love to you Day and night, night and day
1: Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. That was Fred there with Night and Day the Gay Divorcee. Well, weirdly, I'm going to start near the end today with one of the more maligned movies that Fred and Ginger made together, 1938's Carefree. By 1938, the Astaire and Rogers partnership had actually run its course, kind of. Their films have been made in rapid succession during the early 30s, culminating in 1936's Shall We Dance. But such was the public's thirst for more, that they were brought together again for this, perhaps the most unformulaic of their rom-coms. Or should that be formulaic? Because is not your typical Fred and Ginger movie. In fact, it's very, well, normal compared to the others. If Fred and Ginger had been played here by Jimmy and Joan, or Powell and Loy then despite the scattering of dance numbers I don't think anyone would have noticed so the plot here follows psychiatrist Tony Flagg played by Fred who's asked by Stephen Arden played by Ralph Bellamy to examine the mind of his fiance Amanda Cooper played by Ginger
14: that's why I came to see you Tony
13: about her well you came right to the right man he's straightened out some pips but we had a dame up here yesterday who was in love with
5: her feet sorry Steve I'm no marriage broker but now this Amanda what's her name
7: Stop calling her, what's her name? Her name's Cooper, Amanda Cooper. I don't care what her name
5: is. She's in perfect order. She's beautiful, Tony. That has nothing to do with it either. Perhaps she's merely trying to escape reality. Escape what reality? In this case, you. What do you mean? We all try to escape reality. We all want to be something entirely different than we really are. You remember when we were in college how stage struck I was? I wanted to be a dancer. Psychoanalysis showed me I was wrong.
1: You see, Amanda's been promising to marry Stephen for years, but keeps dropping out at the last minute. What's wrong with the girl? Well, hopefully, Dr. Flagg can answer that by subjecting Amanda to some good old movie psychiatry. Well, you do know that
5: you have two minds, the conscious and the subconscious. Really? The conscious mind is the ego. That's the thing that says, I am I, and you are you.
0: Mine never said that.
5: Let me put it this way, then. Back here is a jungle full of the most noble and horrible things.
0: I don't doubt that.
5: That's your subconscious mind. It works all the time, even when you sleep. It dreams. It never forgets anything. Is that so? Your conscious mind lies here. It doesn't dream. It thinks. Now, what we strive for is perfect coordination between the two. Do You understand?
10: No. And I don't believe I care to. When I first came in here, I wasn't sure I wanted to be
15: psychoanalyzed. And now I'm positive I am.
1: Of course, the inevitable happens and Amanda finds herself falling in love with a good doctor. But how will Stephen react? And what will Dr. Flagg do to win Amanda's heart? Have you ever heard of hypnosis?
5: Now, Miss Cooper, when you come out of this, I want you to do whatever you want to do and say whatever you want to say. For the time being, release yourself completely. You will act wholly on the impulse of the moment. It's really weird.
1: I remember the first time I saw this, I felt really uncomfortable. Never before have I seen a movie heroine so manipulated by the men around her. First, she's shunted off to the shrink's office because she won't marry Stephen. Then she's, I kid you not, force-fed a load of weird food combinations in the hopes that it'll give her bad dreams. Incidentally, this scene also includes Ralph Bellamy's super curious method of pronouncing the word mayonnaise. Miss Cooper is going to dream tonight by eating dream-provoking foods. And tomorrow I'll explain her dream to her.
4: I'd eat anything if I thought it
13: would make my dreams come true. Bonsoir, mesdames, monsieur. may I recommend a filet mignon
11: smothered some mushrooms?
5: No, thank you. Uh, Miss Cooper would prefer a seafood cocktail. Seafood cocktail. With whipped cream. Pardon? Seafood cocktail with whipped cream? But not too much whipped cream, just a soup song.
0: Next, I'd like a large East Welsh rabbit. Ah, instead of the seafood cocktail with the whipped cream?
5: No. You mean, madame, she wishes to eat them both? Yes.
10: Double up on the
11: cheese.
16: Oh. I know something that tastes perfectly vile.
11: Good. What is it?
16: Lobster. What gobs of mayonnaise.
11: Wonderful. You mean, instead of the Welsh rabbit
13: and the seafood cocktail with whipped cream?
7: No. All of them.
13: That lobster sounds wonderful. Bring me an order of that. Pardon, madame but that all makes a very bad combination. Yes, I know. Now all you need is a good, solid dessert. Pardon. May
5: I suggest cucumbers and buttermilk?
15: Yes. Wonderful.
0: And a side order of strawberry shortcake.
1: Have you got all that? Yes. Then she's hypnotized into hating Dr. Flagg. Then she's hypnotized into being a vandal. Then she's hypnotized into loving Dr. Flagg. And then she gets punched out by Ralph Bellamy. This is a movie in which Amanda's happy ending is that she walks down the aisle with a black eye. There's an awful lot of leeway you have to give this film, and I suspect that the more liberal-minded will find a terrible amount to hate in this movie. As I say, it made me feel very bad for Amanda on several occasions and has continued to do so. On the positive side of things, there are some great dance numbers, although this is far more of a standard rom-com than a Fred and Ginger dance-com. The scene where Fred dances on the golf tee is spellbinding. And I'm reliably informed by those who play golf that his feats with golf balls and clubs while dancing would be virtually impossible to perform by any mortal man. The dream dance scene where it goes into slow motion is exquisitely beautiful, as is the dance number in the dining hall where they do the Continental. Also, as a comedy, this really does have some great gags. There's a fabulous running joke where the judge keeps getting told to sit down. There's a stone-cold brilliant scene at the beginning where Ralph Bellamy plays drunk. And when Ginger gets hypnotized and becomes a vandal, it is ten minutes of sheer joy. And guess what? This is the first time in any Fred and Ginger movie that they actually kiss for real. Before this, it was just pecs and implied kisses. This film contains their first real romantic on-screen kiss. I have to say, I do like this film. It holds a special place in my heart as it was the first of their movies that I saw. And the reason I saw this one first is because it contains less dancing in it than the others. I was always put off by the dancing and I wanted more of the rom-com stuff. Until I saw the dancing and realised that the dancing is most definitely the thing with the Fred and Ginger's. In that respect, Carefree is a great place to start if you feel the way that I used to. If you're a bit, oh yeah, but it's dancing, then start with Carefree, it has way less. By the end of the movie, you'll be dying to see the dance movies. Carefree isn't the best Fred and Ginger movie, it's definitely mid-tier stuff, but mid-tier Fred and Ginger is still pure magic. So if it's one of the ones you haven't yet seen, do yourself a favor and give it a whirl. If nothing else, it's also one of the most beautiful-looking films they made together and a gorgeous time capsule of late 30s glamour. And my goodness, the opening credits with the greasy writing. Absolutely hypnotic and absolutely pointless.
6: I've been a roaming Romeo My Juliet have been many But now my roaming days have gone Too many irons in the fire Is worse than not having any I've had my share and from now on I'm putting all my eggs in one basket I'm betting everything I've got on you I'm giving all my love to one baby Heaven help me if my baby don't come
4: through
6: I've got a great big amount Saved up in my love account Honey, and I've decided Love divided in two won't do So I'm putting all my eggs in one basket I'm betting everything I've got on you Everything I've got I bet on you Everything I've got, every single thing I've got, I bet on you.
1: And that was Fred Astaire with I'm Putting All My Eggs in One Basket from Follow the Fleet. Next up, my personal favorite Fred and Ginger movie, 1936's Swing Time. And it's weird because the story is all over the place. It doesn't star Edward Everett Horton, and it features a quite racist musical number. But I can't help loving it because it contains some of the most incredible music in a Fred and Ginger, the funniest sequences, Eric Blore, some just darling love scenes, and perhaps the greatest of their dance numbers. So this story follows compulsive gambler Lucky Garnett, played by Fred, who's about to marry wealthy heiress Margaret, but is tricked out of doing so by his concerned friends. When Lucky attempts to make it up to Margaret, her father tells him that in order to win her hand in marriage again, Lucky must go off and make his fortune, $25,000 to be exact. And so Lucky goes off to New York to do so. You
5: know, I always admire any young man that can make money. He chose... uh... Well, it shows character. That's too kind of you, sir. Oh, not at all. Uh, Then Margaret and I can get married,
11: sir. Well, you go to New York and work hard
5: at your business. And if you're successful, you can come back here and ask me for my Margaret.
4: Oh, Daddy. And
5: in all probability, I'll be very happy to give it to you. Right, sir. Thank you, sir.
1: When he arrives, he bumps into a dance instructor, Penny, played by Ginger and they're quickly snapped up as the town's most sought-after dance duo. The problem is that the most sought-after band leader, Ricardo Romero, is also in love with Penny and refuses to play at any of their engagements.
10: you as scared as I am? Don't be
5: nervous. It's only
1: a dance we have to do. It's nothing to worry about. That's right. Don't worry at all, my
6: dear, because you're not going to dance. Because there isn't going to be any music.
10: But Ricky, you promised.
6: I promised you could dance anytime you want, alone.
10: I'll dance with Lucky or not at all?
13: That's what I said too, not at all. Good
11: night.
1: It's up to Fred and his best pal Pop Cardetti, played by Victor Moore, to use their gambling wiles in order to get Romero to the club on time. But in doing so, will they make things worse? Okay, so just look at the musical numbers here. You have Pick Yourself Up, which is set to one of the most delightful and outright hilarious sequences that Fred and Ginger ever did, also featuring Eric Blore, for heaven's sake. The Way You Look Tonight, Fred Astaire's most popular hit record, is in this film. You have The Waltz in Swing Time and Bojangles of Harlem, the less out of which the better. Oof. Then you have Fred and Ginger in The Snow falling in and out of love with each other while singing a fine romance, then you have, in my opinion, the finest solo filmed dance they ever did, Never Gonna Dance, which is a stunningly perfect piece of cinema. I mean, it is quite simply poetry in motion. A
6: perfectly swell romance Never gonna dance Never gonna dance Only gonna love Never gonna dance
1: I mean, the whole film really skates a very fine line between coherent and shambles. The story really isn't the greatest. It's one of those tales that could all be solved if certain characters just said things to each other. But when it comes to comedy, charm, music and dance, surely the four main ingredients in a Fred and Ginger movie, Swing Time really is as good as it gets. Plus, Fred and Ginger are at their most ravishingly beautiful in this movie. Top Hat is generally held up as the best, and it's hard to disagree with that, but personally, Swing Time pips it to the post because it's just so much fun. You know,
10: if some people saw us like this, they they might think that we were, that we liked each other. Yes, they might. It's funny how we met, and all that's happened to us since.
5: The way we've been, sort of, thrown together and everything.
15: As if it were all meant to happen.
17: It's quite an experience.
15: it's more than an experience. It's sort of like a, a romance, isn't it?
5: Yes, as we say in French, la belle romance.
10: La swell romance.
7: You know, you ought to be wearing galoshes.
10: I think we better go home. A fine romance with no kisses. A fine romance, my friend. This is, we should be like. A of hot tomatoes But you're as cold as yesterday's mashed potatoes A fine romance you won't nestle A fine romance you won't
4: wrestle
10: I've never must the crease in your blue serge pants I never had the chance This is a fine romance A fine romance, my good fellow. You take romance, I'll take jello. You're calmer than the seals in the Arctic Ocean. At least they flap their fins to express emotion. A fine
4: romance
10: with no quarrels, with No insults and all the morals. You're just as hard to land as the Ile de France. I never get the chance. This is a fine romance.
5: You're not really angry.
10: No. Disappointed.
5: Don't be that way. You're too nice.
10: You're nice, too, sometimes.
5: Only sometimes?
10: Well, there are times when I can't make you out, when you're so... aloof.
5: Oh, so I'm aloof, am I? seems to me I was just going to do something about it, too. Oh, yes, I know.
6: A fine romance with no kisses of fine romance, my friend. This is true love should have the thrills that a healthy crime
4: has.
6: We don't have half the thrills that the march of time has. A fine romance. With no clinches, a fine romance. With no pinches, you never give the orchids ice and the glands. No, you like cactus plants. This is a fine romance.
1: And that was Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers with A Fine Romance from Swing Time. You know, Fred and Ginger are, of course, the main attraction in any of their movies, but let's face it, these movies would be nothing without the gallery of incredible supporting players that became as much of a draw as the main two themselves. Everyone has their favourites, of course, and I am no different. So let me just whirl you through my personal top five Fred and Ginger supporting players in their movie series. Now, before I begin... This list is not definitive, and it's definitely not designed to say that one person is better than the other. But on a personal level, these five are the guys that always light up my little heart when I see their names in the credits. Now, honourable mention must also go to a few faces you'll no doubt find familiar. You have Betty Grable, who popped up twice in tiny roles in The Gay Divorcee and Follow the Fleet. Lucille Ball was in Top Hat and Follow the Fleet. Jack Carson was in Carefree. Randolph Scott was in Roberta and Follow the Fleet. Ralph Bellamy was in Carefree. George Zuko was in The Barclays of Broadway. I think it's fair to say that Fred and Ginger's Stardust settled on a few careers in the early 30s. But here are my personal top five supporting players in their ten films together. (laughs) At five, Miss Alice Brady, who only appeared once but who left her indelible mark in The Gay Divorcee as Ginger's dotty aunt Hortense, who spends the whole film trying to marry Edward Everett Horton while simultaneously giving him a million reasons why doing so would be a crazy idea.
13: Well, it's no crime to be married. It just shows a weakness on the part of men that women take advantage of. (laughs) Oh,
0: Egbert, are you proposing to me again? No,
13: no, no. (laughs)
1: At four, the great Helen Broderick with two appearances in Top Hat and Swing Time. Of the two, Top Hat is her best, I think. She plays Edward Everett Horton's wife, Mabel, who spends the entire film mistakenly being told that her husband is a philandering Lothario and not believing it. It's genius.
11: It's grand seeing you. And it's grand seeing you. Now tell me, did my husband look you up? Yes. Well, how
0: did he impress you? Oh, I think he's very fascinating. Fascinating.
10: You know, every once in a while the effect Horace has on people surprises me. He sort of surprised me too.
11: Well, I'm glad you like him. He'll be here today. Oh no, he can't. What's the matter? Did he flirt with you?
10: He sent me a room full of flowers. Well, that was sweet of him. But Madge, you don't understand. He he chased me in the park. Really? I didn't know Horace was capable of
11: that much activity. Did he catch you? Yes. Good for Horace!
1: At three, the screen's quintessential Italian gigolo with a heart, Eric Rhodes. Two appearances, Top Hat and The Gay Divorcee, in which he basically plays the same character twice. In Top Hat, he's fashion designer with a hilarious accent, Alberto Bedini. And in The Gay Divorcee, he's professional love cheat with a hilarious accent, Rodolfo Tonetti. And he is simply fabulous.
13: I cannot find the lady. I give everywhere the passwords. And everywhere I get these slaps. Well, I don't understand. Oh, by Jove, I forgot to tell you the lady's name. It's Mrs. Green. She's in room 216. Oh, this si, si, is in your excusia. More prowling around this hotel like a hyena and be sure the lady doesn't leave her room before morning. Tonetti, he stays do and die until the detective, she arrives. That's right. And when the detectives get... Oh, by word. I forgot all about the detectives. Detectives there are no detectives, Tonetti, he gets paid. Tonetti, I am here.
1: At two, and here's where we might get controversial with this list. Number two, Edward Everett Horton. You know, most people think he starred in all the films. Such was his impact on the Fred and Ginger series. In fact, he only starred alongside them three times. The Gay Divorcee, where he played bumbling lawyer Egbert Fitzgerald.
13: It must be from Father. He's always called me Pinky, ever since I was a golden-haired little tot paddling about the ancestral home in pale pink pyjamas.
1: Top Hat, where he played bumbling financier Horace Hardwick.
13: One breath of scandal at this time will ruin our show. Why, I'd rather have had it happen to me than to you. Oh, of course, if you enjoy that sort of thing I do, immensely I, Don't be absurd
1: And Shall We Dance, where he played bumbling ballet company owner, Jeffrey Baird
13: How do you make that exasperating noise? What have you got on those shoes?
11: Taps Taps?
13: On your ballet shoes Sure, sacrilege But Jeff, I haven't
5: neglected anything Look, the Chatois.
18: Lovely, beautiful
5: But how much more effective it is this way?
11: Lovely.
13: I forbid that. That's
1: not art. Edward Everett Horton, rightly regarded as one of the greatest character actors in Hollywood history, what an absolute pleasure it is to see his name in the credits of a movie. And then, the luxurious experience of watching as he steals every scene he's in. There aren't many people who could have pulled it off, but he does so with gusto. And name me another non dancing actor who dare to sing and dance himself in a Fred and Ginger movie, and despite failing at grace, still comes out of it being adored. Horton does so in the Gay Divorcee in the Let's Cannot Knees number, where he's basically sat there in his socks and sandals at a beach resort and is chatted up by Betty Grable, watching as he tries and fails to match her dance moves and sing along to her melody is half pleasure and half pain. But the magic comes from seeing that Horton knows exactly how ridiculous he looks and doesn't care a hoot anyway. And so to my personal number one pick of the Fred and Ginger supporting players, well, of course, there's only one man it could possibly be. I've been a self-proclaimed worshipper of him throughout the life of this podcast. In fact, just before this podcast began, I wrote an entire diatribe on how his name deserves to be plated in gold and exalted by the world forevermore. It also happens that he appeared in the most Fred and Ginger movies, beginning all the way back in their first film, Flying Down to Rio. Yes, with five appearances, it could only be Eric Bloor.
11: Oh, hello, Jeffrey. Yes, are you there? I'm in jail for battery and I want you to get me out. I'm at the Susquehanna Street Jail. Susquehanna. Susquehanna. S-U-S-Q-U-Q. Q. You know, the thing you play billiards with. Billiards! B-I-L-L... What is this? Uh, a spelling B? No, L for larynx. L-A-R-Y-N. No, not M, N. N as in neighbor. Neighbor. N-E-I-G-H-B. Uh, B. B. Blurr, blurr. You know, the stinging insect. Insect. I-N-S-S. S for symbol. S-Y. Y. Oh. Why? Look, Jeffrey, I'm in jail. W- w- wait a minute. What jail did you say this was? Susquehanna Street Jail. <clears throat> Thank you indeed. Thank you very much. I'm in the subscript. Th- the subset. Uh, Jeffrey, do you know where the Oak Street Jail is? You do? Fine. I'll have them transfer me there in the morning.
1: Oh. <sighs> Bloor appeared in Flying Down to Rio, The Gay Divorcee, Top Hat, Swing Time, and Shall We Dance. In fact, you could say that his entire career was a gift from Fred Astaire. Bloor was a jobbing actor, who appeared on the London stage in the original run of The Gay Divorce, starring alongside Fred Astaire himself night after night. Can you imagine seeing that on the stage? Anyway, when the film rights were bought and Astaire was cast in what then became The Gay Divorcee, he insisted upon Eric Bloor coming along with him, and truly, a star was born. You may disagree with my rankings, but I don't think you can disagree with the names. But how would you place them? Let me know.
19: You're my type of a shy type of a beau, dear Big So let's do things oh, really? I'll teach you a few things
13: you're talking to me?
19: Now who said just what you said for I know, dear Oh, no, no, I've been reading I'm not bashful I'm ashful and bashful. I'm
13: beginning to sense that yeah.
19: When you're near I feel so let's play housey Oh, you make me feel so Mickey Mousey <laughs> A
13: well-known lawyer at a place like this.
19: You're sweet and so agreeable, and I feel so gosh o Do warm me or I'll freeze and let's knock knees. You are so bill and coo and I'm so I-love-you-able. Come cuddle closer, please, and let's knock knees. Oh, it's a sort of a game. They say they came, so let's, oh let's, make hey 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 while the moon shines. My heart's so tick tock tickable. Your lips are so lipstickable. You know your A B C, so let's
4: k n o w Okay. Never mind.
13: It's so incomprehensible. It doesn't seem quite sensible. And yet I like it. Please, let's not please. Almost hoy And yet it's quite enjoyable. Ooh, I'm full of rhapsody. <laughs> Too many people here.
19: Ripping, skipping, lightly bounding. Stop it, stop it.
13: Really? This is most astounding.
19: It makes one feel so
13: thrillable. Well, we've exhausted every syllable.
19: I crave frivolity.
13: And that one, let's wrap
1: and that was the fabulous betty grable and edward everett horton singing and dancing let's knock Knees from the gay divorcee you've got to love him haven't you Last Fred and Ginger movie I want to tell you about today is, I'm sure you'll agree, an odd choice. But not only is this one of the most overlooked of their pairings, it's also the only time they did straight drama. So it stands as something of a curio, and most certainly, the film that many tend to dismiss as it's not a dance movie like their others. And also, you know that I love a biopic. How cool, then, that the two most famous and popular dancers in history teamed up for their last RKO outing to tell the story of the previous generation's most famous and popular dancers in the story of Vernon and Irene Castle.
10: You were wonderful to jump in to rescue a little stray dog. I'm
6: very keen
1: on dogs. <coughs> Me
10: too.
5: I keep a sort of a boarding house for wandering dogs in my dressing room. Dressing
11: room? Yes, in the theater. In the theater? <laughs> Are you an actor?
3: Well, yes. You're not the only actor in this boat. You act? Me, no. I just work for the family. You? I. She's a genius.
10: Oh, oh Walter practically braised me, and he so prejudiced.
3: <laughs> what show are you with? I... She played the fairy queen in Miss Dog Seminary's annual entertainment. Oh, amateur shows. <laughs> Dances like a sunbeam. What's your name? My name's Cass. My name's Foot. My name will be Mud when I try to explain this to your mother.
1: This tells the true life story of Irene Foote, a dancer who convinces stage comedian Vernon Castle to drop his vaudeville act and become a ballroom dancer with her. Love inevitably follows and the Castles spend the first few years of their relationship wondering if they'll ever get their big break. Uh,
10: maybe we're not quite ready yet. Maybe we should
5: rehearse some more.
10: And come back next week, huh? Yes, that's it. Come on, Walter.
3: What are you doing, running away? We thought we we'd go we're home and rehearse so we're tomorrow rehearse, and come, we're back, next come back next week. Next week? Now look, you've been practicing for months and you know everything fine. Well, you'd done it for me last night and it was beautiful. I'll come right back here and sit down. When Mr. Fields tells you to dance, get up, keep your chin up, your chest out and put your best foot forward.
1: It finally arrives while they're working in Paris when their act is seen by influential agent Maggie Sutton played by the great Edna May Oliver.
11: Get me a chair. Hmm? I said get me a chair. What do you call that? That,
5: uh, what you were doing? Oh, well, I I don't know. I guess you might call it the castle walk. Castle walk?
10: Castle? That's our name.
5: I'm Vernon Castle and this is my wife. I'm Maggie Sutton. How would you like to try out for a dancing job? What? Where? At the Café de Paris? Café de Paris.
10: Irene. you know the manager.
5: I dare the manager knows me.
1: Within a year, the castles are a European sensation and repeat the frenzy when they return home to the States, setting all kinds of trends and fashions and really becoming the social influences of the 1910s. But shadows of war are on the horizon and nobody not even the castles, are safe from the dangers of conflict. Now, the first and most obvious point to cover is that I would argue, if Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers had not made this movie, then it's entirely possible that the names of Vernon and Irene Castle would today be kind of lost to time. As it is, the Fred and Ginger movies, which are being constantly rediscovered and rewatched by today's generation, display among their number the very prominent name of the castles, and so have ensured that they live on alongside them, which I admire greatly. Visually, this film is a real treat, from the ramshackle Paris boarding house they find themselves in, to the splendor of the Café de Paris, There are also some brilliant aerial sequences when Vernon becomes a fighter pilot. His mission to photograph some enemy terrain is very well done and there's a stunning sequence at the 61 minute mark where Vernon and Irene dance across a map of the US and their crowds of fans grow out of the map and copy their movements. It's a real jaw dropper, so well realized. And the dances, when they do come, are phenomenal. I mean, they went for realistic. So Fred and Ginger really do mimic the dancing of the castles, copying some of the most famous routines, which aren't as thrilling as the dances that Fred and Hermes Pan came up with, but they're still executed flawlessly. Plus, the dance near the beginning, where Fred floats over the entirety of a train station, is breathtaking. What I really like about this film, though, are the things it has to say about fame. I mean, you have your Insta-famous and your social media influencers these days. Well, you'll get a real kick out of seeing just how similar things were back in the day when the castles became famous. You have women copying her hairstyles, her self-invented fashions. You have men buying the same shoes as Vernon so they can aspire to be like him. They are a phenomenon, and it goes to prove that social influence is not a new thing at all. I dread to use this phrase, but the castles were kind of like the Kardashians of the day. Please don't kill me for that. There are issues with it. The most glaring one is their servant, Walter Ashe, who's played here by Walter Brennan. In real life, Walter Ashe was African-American. I don't know why they decided to change his race. I don't think it helped the story at all. Odd little decisions like that. Also, as biopics go, this probably isn't the definitive warts and all take on the castles, I'm sure, but it is an extraordinarily entertaining movie. It skips along like a foxtrot. It tells its story wonderfully. And on top of all of that, you have Edna May Oliver at her haughty best. What more could you ask for? I should warn you, the final shot of the movie will not just break your heart. It will smash it to smithereens. Especially when you consider that you're not only watching the end of the castle story, but also the last moments of the Fred and Ginger RKO story. So be prepared to blub. The story of Vernon and Irene Castle, perhaps the most shunned of the RKO movies they made together, but definitely deserving of your time and of your love.
6: When I'm awfully low When the world is cold I will feel a glow Just thinking of you And the way you look tonight Oh, but you're lovely With your smile so warm And your cheeks so soft There is nothing for me But to love you Just the way you look tonight With each word Your tenderness grows Tearing my fear apart And that laugh that wrinkles your nose Touches my foolish heart Lovely, never, never change Keep that breathless charm Won't you please arrange it Cause I love you Just the way you look
1: Wonderful, that was Fred Astaire with The Way You Look Tonight from Swing Time. Well, we're off to Radioland now for a double bill of old-time entertainment. It's a pity, but Fred and Ginger never co-starred in any radio adaptations of their movies, but separately, they made lots of appearances. We'll hear Ginger first of all in the Lux Radio Theatre's version of her 1944 musical comedy hit Lady in the Dark, where she appears opposite Ray Milland, and then we'll head over to the Screen Directors Playhouse for their adaptation of Fred's 1943 hit The sky's the limit. A double bill now, then, of Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. And I'll see you afterwards.
14: The Lux Radio Theater brings you Lady in the Dark, starring Ginger Rogers and Ray Milland. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer for tonight, Mr. Lionel Barrymore.
8: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, in the absence of my good friend, Cecil B. DeMille, I'm going to act as your producer. I am especially glad to have a hand in bringing one of the screen's most entertaining and sophisticated comedies, Paramount's Lady in the Dark, adapted from the Broadway stage success produced by Sam H. Harris and Hart. In the next hour, you'll see what happens to a girl who can't make up her mind. A girl who was pulled and twisted by her inner dreams... ...bewildered by her own success... ...and and pressed by impatient suitors for a hand. You will hear, too, music by Kurt Weil and Ira Gershwin. I don't want to go beyond that. Except to add that our stars tonight are more than equal to the roles assigned to them. First, because they played in the original screen version... And second, because they're a combination you'll find hard to beat in Hollywood. Ginger Rogers and Ray Millan. They've been on this stage together once before, and I'm sure you share the hope they'll be on many times again. Now, of course, the meaning of tonight's title, Lady in the Dark, is a lady who's in the dark about herself, and not a lady in the dark about Lux toilet Soap although they may be one and the same thing. A lady who isn't sure of her appearance may prefer a dim light, while a woman with a captivating, smooth complexion wouldn't choose to stay in darkness very long. Now, if you recall your Latin, you'll remember the word lux means light. So if by any chance you are a lady in the dark yourself, perhaps the easiest solution to your problem is lux toilet soap. And now, our curtain rises on the first act of tonight's play, Lady in the Dark, starring Ginger Rogers as Liza Elliott and Ray Milland as Charlie Johnson. The most modern suite of offices in New York's most modern skyscraper is occupied by America's most modern fashion magazine. This glossy journal of elegance is called Allure, and its equally sophisticated editor is called Liza Elliott. Liza's a little late for work this morning, and the reason is a rather disturbing interview she just had with her family doctor.
2: Hello, Foster. Oh, uh, Dr. Harris just phoned. Well, I just met Dr. Harris. But he said he forgot to take Dr. Brooks' address and you would have see him. Dr. Brooks is a
15: psychoanalyst. I refuse to see him. I told Dr. Harris that. It's perfectly ridiculous. All right, let's get to work. Yes, Miss Elliot. Oh, Mister Russell wants to see you right away. And those dresses we're to photograph just came in.
2: Mm-hmm. There are
17: three people waiting outside to see you. Uh, Liza, you've got to do something. You've simply got to do something. All right, Russell, what now? I'm in a frenzy, a frenzy. Either he leaves or you'll get another boy to shoot your picture. He who? Who, she asked me. Mr. Charlie Johnson, that's who. Last night when I should be shooting pictures, Johnson takes out all the models. Two of them haven't even shown up yet. And the others, bags under their eyes, down to here. Please, Russell, do the best you can. I am so mad I could spit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, good morning, Maggie.
15: Hi. Liza? Come in, Maggie. Well, what's this? Oh, an apple. So hmm. That's what I thought. One of Mr. Johnson's clever jokes. An apple for the teacher. Maggie, if Johnson weren't the best advertising man in the business, I swear it.
14: Hello, Maggie. You want a gooey kiss?
15: Why don't you
17: stop being a pixie?
14: I was hoping the boss did. would have a minute.
15: Look here, Johnson. I just saw Russell. If you've got to take out models, try Harper's Bazaar.
14: And be disloyal to the home team? Never.
15: We won't discuss it any further.
14: You know, when I was in the third grade, Miss Compton used to make me stand in the corner.
15: If you've got business to talk over, get to the point. (laughs)
14: Boss, lady, you kill me. It's just a matter of our next issue. I've got a great idea, a circus number. Cover, layout, articles, everything, all Alas Circus. Our next issue is the Easter
15: anniversary issue. Yeah,
14: I know, but just for fun, I had the art department work up a dummy. Here, look, isn't that swell, huh?
15: A circus theme isn't even remotely right for a fashion magazine.
14: Anything's right if it brings in the ads. I'll go downtown and sound out the department stores.
15: You'll do nothing without my okay.
14: Oh? And when do you suppose I might get that?
15: When I'm ready, I'll send for you.
14: You'll... Well, what do you know? What? (laughs) Your suit. Just like mine. We must go to the same tailor. You! The paperweight. Always wanted to have a paperweight. Thanks, boss lady. (laughs) Oh, Maggie, come on in, close the door. Now
17: look here, Charlie, what are you trying to do to Liza?
14: Nothing at all, she's just sore because I'm wise to her.
17: Wise about what?
14: Did you ever see a brick house that really isn't made of bricks? The bricks are just painted on? Well, that's Liza Elliott, that big executive pose of hers. Every time I get close to her, I can't resist chipping off little hunks to see what's underneath. Well, you can just cut it out. Liza's not feeling well, and you'll be decent to her, do you hear? Well, why doesn't she quit? A publisher's in love with her? Why doesn't she marry him? You
17: know as well as I do that Kendall Nesbitt's married and he
14: can't get a divorce, so shut up. She can still quit. I've had my eye on that job of hers ever since I came here. A girl like Liza shouldn't try to be top man. She's not built for it. What she should really do... Never mind,
17: she? I know your views.
14: <clears throat> you want to apologize to boss lady?
17: You wouldn't. Besides, she's
12: gone home. Well, good night, you stinker.
14: Good night, sweetheart.
15: Hello. Come in.
16: Hello, darling.
15: Oh, I thought you'd gone to that publisher's dinner tonight.
16: I have, but I wanted to find out what the doctor had to tell you.
15: Oh. I'm a very disappointing medical case. It's all in my mind.
4: There's nothing wrong.
15: No?
16: Well, Then what are you worrying about?
15: Worrying? I'm not worrying.
16: You were just humming and when you start humming, dear, you're worried. I know.
15: Why, that's silly.
16: <laughs> oh, no, dear, it isn't. You are worried, Liza. And I know why. Whatever's wrong with you, it's... Well, it's all my fault. Liza, darling, when I think of the life that we might have had...
15: Darling, please.
16: I should bow out of your life if I didn't love you so much. If I weren't so completely selfish. Oh,
15: don't say that. Don't ever say that.
16: It's true, Liza. You mean everything in the world to me. And what can I be to you? A companion who takes you to dinner, someone to talk to, your boss on the magazine. What kind of a life is that for you?
15: Kendall, I'm perfectly happy. And I, I I don't know what I'd do without you.
16: Thank you, Liza, but I still think I'm right. Well, darling.
15: See you tomorrow at the office?
16: Sure. And try and get some sleep tonight, hmm? I'll try, dear. Good night, Liza.
15: Good night.
17: What
12: is it?
15: It means something to me, but
12: I can't remember. I can't remember. Martha!
15: Martha! Yes, dear. Come here, please, Martha. Call Dr. Harris for me. Tell him I want Dr. Brooks' telephone number. Right now, Martha, right away.
16: Now, what else can you tell me about yourself, Miss Ellis? Dr. Carlton mentioned something about nervousness.
15: Nervousness? No, no, it's more than that, Dr. Brooks. It's, well, it's fear. All day long I'm in a kind of panic.
16: Ever think of stopping work?
15: Oh, I couldn't. The magazine's the only steadying influence I have. Except now I... Well, I'm beginning to slip. I can't make decisions over the simplest things.
16: What about you and Mr. Nesbitt?
15: Oh. Oh, I see no... Point in being schoolgirlish about this. Mr. Nesbitt's been in love with me for some time. We can't get married because his wife won't give him a divorce. Look, I came here hoping you'd be able to help me. Do you think you can? Perhaps.
16: I'd like a trial analysis for a month, starting now.
15: Oh, but that's impossible. I'll be terribly busy for the next few days. And...
16: I see. Well, in that case, perhaps you should find someone else.
15: All right, you win. What do I do?
16: It's going to sound foolish, but I want you to lie down over there. And start talking. Just say anything at all that comes to mind.
15: And meanwhile, you'll get into your beard, I trust.
16: Start talking. What are you thinking about?
15: I'm thinking about a song. A song I knew as a child. It's been running through my head all day. I even dreamed about it last night.
4: Oh?
16: What kind of a dream?
15: I was all alone in a vast, misty cloud... And all around me was the song. I was dressed in blue, a blue gown. most oh, beautiful gown I've ever seen. In it I felt so light, intoxicated. I I thought I was the loveliest creature on earth.
16: Does the color blue mean anything to you?
15: Well, that's just it. I really dislike blue intensely. Anyway, in my dream, I heard cheering and applause in the distance. Then mist suddenly disappeared and I was standing on a huge stage... I had just made a speech. The cheers and applause were all for me. I was the center of attraction.
12: Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, how
15: lovely to be me. If there's a party, I'm always the host of it. If there's a haunted house, I'm always the ghost of it. If I'm in town, I'm always the toast of it. Oh, how lovely to be me.
4: A
14: message, a message. Who bears a message? I do. I, Mr. Charlie Johnson. A message to Eliza Elliott from the President of the United States. And? The President requests that for national unity and for the advancement of cultural achievement... Yes? ...that your portrait be painted for the new two-stand stamp of the U.S. of A.
12: Oh, how really, really lovely. Who is to paint me and where?
14: I am to paint you and here. In
12: this dress?
14: Like this? Exactly. The most beautiful woman on earth. And I'll paint you in three strokes of my brush. Like this, and thusly, and so. Look, multitude, look, admiring throng! The portrait is finished. Here is the true picture of Liza Elliott. It's a caricature. It's a caricature. Is it? (laughs) What's the matter, boss? Eddie, can't you take it?
4: Go away. Go away. Go away. I woke up
15: sobbing. Shaking.
16: Well, Miss Elliot, it appears that in your dream you were just the opposite of your real self. Opposite? Obviously, you're a girl who cares little for feminine adornments, and yet in the dream, you were glamorous, seductive. Dreams often are wish fulfillments.
15: But I haven't the faintest desire to be glamorous.
16: You never wanted to be that alluring woman?
15: Never. The only thing I ever wanted was to make something of myself.
16: Most girls want love and marriage.
15: Well, I didn't, and I despise girls who did. Why? I don't remember
16: or you don't want to remember which
15: I simply don't know
16: Well, I think we've done enough for one visit.
15: And uh, that's all there is to it
16: for the moment, yes. I'll call you soon. Uh,
15: thank you. I <laughs> good night, doctor.
14: Do you happen to have the time, Miss Elliot? It's, uh, 20 minutes
15: after three.
14: Oh, I thought our staff meeting was set at three. It was.
15: Forster! Forster! Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Elliot. I've just been in Mr. Russell's office. And what's so important in Mr. Russell's office? Why, Miss Elliot, Randy Curtis is there getting photographed. Everybody's there. Then you'll kindly tell everybody that I called a staff meeting for three o'clock and I intend to have a staff meeting. Yes, Miss
4: Elliot.
14: Are you kidding Nobody's going to get any work done with Randy Curtis here. He's a movie star. Oh, we've
15: had celebrities here before.
14: Incidentally, what about my circus idea? I've been to the department stores, and they like it very much.
15: We'll talk about that at the staff meeting, if there is such a thing. Now, you wait here. I'll be back.
14: Uh Uh-huh. That's what you think.
15: And as far as the rest of you are concerned, get back to your desks immediately. I'm thoroughly ashamed of you. I'm terribly sorry this happened, Mr. Curtis. I, I'm sure that you'll think they've never seen a movie star before.
9: Oh, that's okay. I'm used to it by now. Oh, uh,
17: this is Miss Elliott, Mr. Curtis. out
15: edit it. yes, I know. you know
9: you don't remember mm-hmm. Mrs. Brackett's cocktail party about a year ago.
15: Oh why, of course.
9: We we're going to have dinner sometime. We uh, still could, you know
15: Well, I think that might be very nice sometime.
14: Oh Mr. Curtis,
9: yes, Mr. Curtis, may I have your autograph <laughs> Look, you're kidding.
14: Oh, no, no. I save all sorts of things. Autographs. Paperweights. I put them in a memory box and on rainy afternoons, I just sit and look at them. <laughs> Please?
9: <laughs> okay. Here. For stormy weather. Gee, thanks.
12: Oh, Mr. Curtis. Telephone for you.
9: I'll be right there. Excuse me, Miss Elliott. Yes,
14: of course. Dream lover, put your arms around me. <laughs> <laughs> Boss lady, sometimes you kill me.
15: I don't like you, Johnson, and I never have. And I'm definitely repelled by what you consider amusing. And if you can't confine your remarks to your work, perhaps you can make more pleasant connections elsewhere.
14: My, my, my. Liza! Oh, Liza! Well, a publisher. Liza,
16: could I see you alone for a moment? Oh, hello, Johnson. Oh, yeah.
15: Uh, Kendall, we're supposed to have a staff meeting
14: now.
16: I'll only be a moment, dear. Let's go out on the terrace.
14: Just be careful, Lesbitt. Teacher's mad. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. This isn't business.
16: Oh, I changed my mind. I didn't go to the dinner last night. I determined to see Catherine and settle this one way or another. Well, Liza, she's agreed to a divorce.
4: Divorce?
16: Yes. That's what we've been waiting for, Liza. It's... Why, Liza, dear, what's the matter?
15: Nothing, Kenny. It's... It's just wonderful.
16: Oh, darling, why don't you get out of this office and go home? You're not well. Johnson and Maggie can get out the magazine. Please,
15: I... I'm all right.
9: I thought you'd be glad to hear the news.
15: But I am. It's just that I...
9: Oh, Miss Elliot, I... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
15: It's quite all right. Uh, Randy Curtis, uh, Kendall Nesbitt.
9: How do you do? How are you? We were talking about having dinner, Miss Elliot. How about tomorrow night?
15: Well, I, I think tomorrow night might be fine... You'll have to call for me here, though, Mr. Curtis. I'll be working rather late.
9: Well, that's okay. That's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you can make it. Well, uh, goodbye again.
15: Goodbye.
9: Goodbye, Mr. Nesbitt. Bye.
16: Uh, like me to leave now, too?
15: Would you mind, dear? Work, huh? Uh, yes, yes, that meeting. Sure.
16: Just wait till we're married, darling, and you'll be able to forget all about staff meetings and movie actors and deadlines and everything. Except me, I hope.
15: Kendall, you're the sweetest man that ever lived... Just try to put up with me a little longer, won't you? Please, just a little longer.
14: In just a moment, Mr. Barrymore and our stars will return in Act Two of Lady in the Dark. And now, two young girls comparing notes
2: are awfully important, aren't they, Anne? What do you mean by firsts, Rita? I mean those things you always remember. Like your first day in high school or the first time you went to a dance. Oh, yes, and your first evening dress and your first pair of high heel shoes. And remember the first time you wore makeup? Wasn't I thrilled when I got my first lipstick? My mother was pretty smart, though. She showed me just how to take the right care of my skin. She certainly must have. Your complexion always looks so nice and smooth. Mother told me how important it is to remove stale cosmetics from your skin. She said never, never go to bed without taking an active lather facial with Lux soap. Then you know your skin will keep on looking fresh and smooth. What's an active lather facial, Rita? They're so easy to take. You cover your face with lots of the Lux soap lather. It's so creamy and rich. Then you rinse with warm water, splash on cold. And then you just pat your skin dry with a soft towel. Try it, Anne. It really works.
14: There's no doubt about it. Regular beauty facials with gentle luxe toilet soap really do make skin lovelier. Recent tests proved that actually three out of four complexions improved in a short time with this daily care. Active lather facials are Hollywood's beauty care, you know. Famous screen stars, nine out of ten of them, depend on this fine soap's creamy active lather to help keep their million-dollar complexions exquisitely smooth. Why don't you try active lather facials? Ask for Hollywood Beauty Soap, Lux Toilet Soap, tomorrow. And now, Mr. Barrymore returns to the microphone.
8: Act two of Lady in the Dark, starring Ginger Rogers as Liza and Ray Milland as Charlie. The sudden news that Kendall Nesbitt soon would be free to marry her leaves Liza Elliott in a state of complete jitters. Not even sleep brings any relief. After hours of tossing, she finally dozes off, plunging straightway into a highly fanciful dream. So disturbing a dream that she's now back in Dr. Brooks' office, telling the psychoanalyst all about it.
15: The dream was grotesque, fantastic, but it seemed so terribly real. The people were singing the procession.
16: Procession?
15: A wedding procession. It was my wedding day. Dozens of men were crowding round the map, around, around about me, laughing, dancing, flirting men. Again, the center no. of
16: attraction. The beautiful, glamorous woman.
15: Presently, all the men vanished. But one, he put his arms around me. He made love to me. It was Randy Curtis.
16: You resented his lovemaking?
15: No. No, I didn't. Then suddenly I found myself in front of an altar. In back of it, grinning at me, was one of the men from the magazine, an especially annoying person named Johnson.
16: Well, what was he doing?
15: He seemed to be a judge or a minister. I looked around for Randy, but he was gone. Another man was standing there, stretching his hand out to me. It was Kendall Nesbitt. Then the people began chanting, and they said, I I wasn't the true, Liza Elliott. They, They demanded that I tell the truth. Tell the truth. Oh, it was awful. I started to run away, and they they laughed at me. And then it all turned misty and blurred. And I woke up, shaking as usual. I'm still shaking.
16: You told me, Miss Elliot, that Mr. Nesbitt is getting a divorce. Yes. Had you ever been aware before now that you did not want Mr. Nesbitt to get a divorce?
15: How did you? You're very clever, Dr. Brooks. No, I was never aware of it before, but... It...
16: You mentioned an engagement with Mr. Curtis tonight.
15: Yes, but I'm going to call it off. It... Why? Because I have the slightest desire to keep it.
16: In your dream, you're ready to marry him. Yet now you reject him. That's a rather curious denial. Is it? Also, in your dream, you suddenly see it is not Randy Curtis at your side, but Nesbitt. And immediately the mocking voices of the people are heard. They taunt you. Your dream becomes a nightmare and you run away. Yes? Miss Elliot. Hasn't your affection for Kendall Nesbitt been based on the fact that he resembles your father?
15: My father? I've never mentioned my father. That you
16: have, in fact, transferred your love for your father to Nesbitt? And as long as he remained married, you were safe? Safe?
15: Safe from what? Safe
16: from competition with other women. But the moment you were faced with becoming his wife... Well, that's horrible.
15: That's not true. Yes.
16: You're afraid to compete with other women. Even the plain way you dress is a protective armor. And with it, you are not forced to confess. I
15: loathe fancy clothes. Your
16: dreams deny it. Those
15: are dreams and your interpretations of them. Nothing else. I
16: think you'll find the interpretations are true.
15: I refuse to go on with this. Thank you, Dr. Brooks. You can send me a bill for whatever I owe you. Good day.
14: Oh, boss lady. You got a minute now, maybe?
15: Can it wait, Johnson?
14: i it waited all morning than it waited all afternoon. Now it's six o'clock. Where have you been? I've been out. Oh. Well, the big stores like my circus idea. They'll really splurge on ads. And me? Well, I'd like to leave your magazine in a blaze of glory. Leave? Yeah. This might be turned my resignation, boss lady. But please, no tears. Just a light kiss on the cheek, perhaps, and a quick goodbye, huh? You're certainly thin-skinned, aren't you? For Me? Because I... Because you bowled me out? No, no. I just got a better offer.
15: I'll meet that offer.
14: Why? I annoy the life out of you, don't I? That
15: has nothing to do with the way you do your
14: job. Look, it isn't a question of money. Actually, I'm taking less. But I'm getting something I could never get here. Your job. I'm afraid that's what I want.
15: Well, nice of you to be so frank.
14: Yeah. I'm ambitious, too. I want to run the whole thing myself, and there isn't a chance of that here. You married that desk of yours years ago, and you're never going to get a divorce. You have magazines instead of babies.
15: Why, you insolent pup. I'm sick and tired of that incredible sideshow you put on under the guise of a gay young man with a wicked tongue. It doesn't always excuse your being an ill-mannered boor. And I question if that isn't the extent of your talent.
14: (laughs) Rage is a pretty good substitute for love, isn't it? Get out of here. Yes, ma'am. Oh, if we should ever need a good man over there, I'll make you an offer.
16: Liza. hello, Kendall. I just passed Johnson. He said you were back. Darling, where have you been? I've been searching for you all day. I've been to a
15: psychoanalyst. What? To the eminent Dr. Brooks. I stood just about all I could stand, and then I walked out on him. And I kept walking and walking and walking.
16: Liza, be honest with me, will you?
15: Yes.
16: You don't want to marry me. That's true, isn't it? Can he... There's someone else.
15: No, no, no. Oh, I can't explain it to you. I can't even explain it to myself. Oh, Kendall, I'm sick. I'm ill.
16: I know you're ill, Liza, but you're going to be well again. And you haven't the right to trifle with other people's lives, even with this as an excuse. <laughs> What am I going to do? Stop acting like a child.
15: Don't talk to me like that. I'm fighting as hard as I know how.
16: Listen to me, Liza. I can't stand aside while you proceed to destroy something very important to me.
15: All right. All right. Come back later, then. I'll get through as soon as I can. But don't push me into a corner, Kendall. It's no use.
16: I'm going to fight, Liza. I love you, and I can't help that.
15: Foster! Yes, Miss Ellie? Come here. I've got a million things to do. I want Allison's galleys right away and send in Russell. Yes. Oh, uh, what will I tell Mr. Curtis? Mr. Curtis, oh. Oh,
2: I forgot to call
15: him. He said you have a dinner
2: engagement with him.
15: Oh, yes, yes, I know. Oh, Say, is he something in white tie and tail? <laughs> uh, send him in, please. Uh, yes,
9: Miss i Murley. Mm. Sorry.
15: No, it's my fault, Mr. Curtis. I've... I've just been snowed under. I haven't even had a chance to change. Say, you know what? What?
9: Let's go out just as you are.
15: Just as I am? Sure.
9: Oh, you look wonderful. Oh, to tell the truth, I was scared stiff. I was going to run into a glamour girl tonight instead of...
15: Instead of what, Mr. Curtis?
9: Oh, please, Randy. Well, instead of... Well, as you are now. You're natural. You don't know what a relief it is to find a natural girl.
15: Thank you. But just the same, I am going to dress, and uh, I can do it right here. Now, if you don't mind waiting outside.
9: Oh, why, why, sure. I'll wait and take your time.
12: Yes?
15: Maggie, do you have those sample dresses from Bergdorf?
12: Liza? Yeah, sure. Uh, Send them
15: in, hmm? Yes, but I simply don't I understand. I am scared stiff, he said. Scared stiff. I was going to run into a glamour girl. Just as I am, he says. He likes me just as I am. Liza Elliott, what's the matter with Nothing, you? Nothing, darling. I'm just going out. Out with Mr. Curtis. Randy Curtis? Yes, ma'am. And you can get the magazine to press, Maggie.
17: I'll show Dr. Brooks who's afraid.
15: Do you realize, Randy, that in three hours we've been to six nightclubs?
9: Well, I thought that you oh, were... Oh, no,
15: I'm having a wonderful time.
9: I uh, no, you're not. And we haven't been alone for two minutes.
15: Oh, you're a movie picture star. Uh, too many people know you. Oh, Mr.
20: Curtis. <laughs>
9: Here we go again. Yes?
14: Would you mind, Mr. Curtis, just one picture, please?
9: Liza. Oh, by all means, Curtis. uh,
14: Thank you. Uh, just a little closer to the young lady, please. There, that's
17: fine. Hold it. Okay. Well, Thanks a lot, Mr. Curtis.
9: Uh, Liza, this may not be the place. Not the time, maybe, either, but... I'd like to talk to you.
15: You talk very nicely, Mr. Curtis.
9: Well, I, uh, I might as well come straight to Sorry, the point. Mr. Curtis. Would you mind a few autographs? Oh, sure, sure. Glad to. Uh, for a party from Boise, Idaho.
15: <laughs> Does this go on all the time, day and night?
9: <laughs> well, I have to laugh. Three years ago, nobody would give me a job. Now I'm in with all the big shots. Writers ask me to read their books. Businessmen ask me about the market. Oh, here you are. And uh, here's your pencil. Well, thanks very much, Mr. Curtis. And I even get a chance to meet you. Randy, you're
15: very endearing.
9: <laughs> Liza, It uh, it isn't just this, my being in the movies that made you come with me tonight.
15: No, Randy.
9: Well, that's well, swell.
15: I, uh, I really came to prove something to myself.
9: Do I figure in that something? Yes. Liza, I know you've known me only a couple of days, but it doesn't take time to know that a person is the only person you want to be with. From the first time I saw you a year ago... Well, I'm crazy about you.
15: Randy, I... I'm not very good at this sort of thing. Oh,
9: I... I know you couldn't feel the way I do. Not yet. But do you think you could think about
15: it? I think so.
9: Oh, gosh, Liza. Oh.
15: Randy! Hello. I thought you went back to the coast.
9: I'm leaving tomorrow. Oh, uh, this is Miss Liza. Hello. Allie...
17: Hello. But darling,
15: that's wonderful. So am I. Oh, you know Charlie Johnson. I am. Good evening.
14: Miss Elliot, you look wonderful. Thank
15: you, Johnson.
14: You know, this is the first time I've ever seen you like this.
15: Actually, like a woman. Now, oh, what does that mean, Charlie? Oh, Randy,
17: I saw Marie yesterday. And a she bird. You really shouldn't be so mean.
14: Well, I, uh. Hey, Alan, come on.
17: Just a second. Excuse me. I'll be back in a minute.
14: Oh, sure, sure. It's Eliza.
17: What?
14: I know you don't like me because I want your job. I know you don't like her because she wants your man.
15: Uh, Randy, what time is it?
14: Why,
9: what's early? 11.30. 11.30? I
15: really must go. I have work to do.
9: Work? Oh, couldn't you forget it, Liza, just this once? I don't think she could ever forget it, Mr. Curtis.
15: Randy, I, I really must go
9: home. Oh? Thought it was work. What is it, Liza? Are you all right?
15: Oh, it's nothing. Uh, maybe I'm just a little tired. Please, you, you don't mind.
9: Oh, of course not. Well, good night, all. Good night. What's the
14: matter, boss, Lady? Can't
9: you think it? What's he talking about?
15: Oh, nothing, nothing.
9: Eliza, well, if your work won't take too long, maybe we Randy, could.
15: Randy, if you don't mind, I'd like to go home alone.
9: Well, sure, if you want. Eliza, will I see you tomorrow? I'll be leaving, you know.
15: Yes, call me, won't you?
9: And you will think about what I said before?
15: Oh, I will, Randy. I think, in a way, that's why I won't be alone.
9: Thanks, Eliza. Well, good night. Good night, Randy. Pause now for station identification.
14: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. just a moment, Mr. Barrymore and our stars will return with Act Three of Lady in the Dark. Busy days, these are, for women everywhere. For women who work in offices...
2: Oh, goodness, I'll never get this report, Todd. No, Miss Brown is out today. Oh, yes, I'll give her the message. (coughs) Yes, Mr. Adams. A reservation to Washington? I'll start phoning now. Yes, I'll be sure to finish the report, too. For women who work at home...
12: Darling, I'm coming right away.
2: Now, Bobby, be still while I give little sister her supper. Oh, heavens, I never knew children could make so much noise.
14: Strenuous trying days for women everywhere. But thousands of them have learned this secret.
2: Mmm, thank goodness for this nice, relaxing bath. Lock soap gives such rich, creamy lather. Mmm, so fragrant, too. It's a real beauty pickup.
14: Yes, Lux Soap's active lather whisks away the day's dust and dirt in a jiffy.
2: Leaves skin really fresh and sweet. Makes me sure of daintiness.
14: Screen stars discovered long ago that their complexion soap, Lux Toilet Soap, makes a truly luxurious beauty bath. This fine white soap has a light, flower like perfume that appeals to fastidious women. Lux Toilet Soap is hard milled, it's inexpensive to use because it lasts and lasts why not try using it as a daily bath soap? You'll enjoy the rich, luxurious lather, the lovely, clinging fragrance Lux soap leaves on your skin. And now, Mr. Barrymore returns to the microphone.
8: After the play, we won't exactly psychoanalyze our two stars, but we will present some searching questions on their private lives. And I think you'll want to hear their answers, too. Now, act three of Lady in the Dark, starring Ginger Rogers as Liza and Ray Milland as Charlie.
12: <laughs>
8: An hour ago, Liza Elliott entered her apartment, put on her glasses, and dived into a pile of papers representing the Easter issue of Allure magazine. For a while, she forgot all about Randy Curtis and... Candle Nesbit and Charlie Johnson, but now Liza's yawning. Her eyelids are fluttering. A pencil drops from her fingers. The editor of a lure magazine is fast asleep, and presently she dreams a dream. It's true, Miss Elliott.
9: You don't dare compete as a woman. You don't dare.
8: No,
15: no.
9: no. Liza, I don't expect you to answer now, but.
2: I think you could think about it. Oh, I will. I will, Randy.
14: It's my resignation, boss lady. Now, what about the circus idea? Come on, decide, decide.
15: Decide. 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 Decide on the cover. You've got to. You've got to. The Easter cover or the circus cover? The Easter cover or the circus cover?
12: the upper because I'm in the surface. In a cage. I'm in a cage. Hey, let me out of here. Let me out of here. And now, what's that? Clown! Oh, please, clown! Let me out of here. Well, ma'am, I will don't the judge Here you say that, young lady. Judge? He holds you in contempt of court. Are you crazy? I demand to
9: be taken
12: out of here. Quiet down now. Trials has to begin. file going to begin. Quiet, please.
14: Stop the band. Attention, everybody. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Johnson, it's Charlie Johnson dressed like a ringmaster. I take pride in introducing the greatest show on earth. Featuring for the first time the captivating and tantalizing Liza Elliott. The woman who cannot make up her mind. (laughs) Ordering the court. The charges against Liza Elliott. What is all this? The charges against me for what? Liza Elliott cannot make up her mind about the Easter cover or the circus cover. Liza Elliott cannot make up her mind whether she is marrying Kendall Lesbitt or not. Liza Elliott cannot make up her mind as to the kind of woman she wants to be, the executive or the enchantress. Therefore, let Liza Elliott be brought to trial and made to make up her
4: mind.
14: I am the attorney for the prosecution, my worthy opponent, where is he? I writer and attorney for the defense.
4: Randy Tessie! hi silver! All right, all
14: right, let's get going now, let's get going. My first witness, Your Honor, Kendall Nesbitt. Here I am, I'm here. What's the question? Mr. Nesbitt, you are divorcing your wife so you can be free to marry the defendant, isn't that so? Yes, sir. And the defendant led you to believe she'd marry you when, as, and if? Yes, sir. Haha. Uh-huh. What do you mean, ha-ha?
12: Tra-la, I never gave my word. Tra-la-la, a change of mind. When a maid gives her heart but does not give her word. How on earth can that maid have betrayed him? tra
14: You've heard the charges. Have you made up your mind about any of these things?
12: No, how can I?
14: Can you give a reasonable explanation? Why not?
12: I can't. I just can't.
14: Stop being evasive. There must be an explanation. Let me alone.
12: Let me alone.
14: You see, Your Honor, she wants to be alone. Very well, clear the courtroom. Everybody out. You want to be alone, Miss Elliott? All right, be alone. Get away from her, everybody. Get away.
12: Wait. Not everyone. Don't everyone leave me. Please, I'll tell you whatever. Gone. They're all gone. Hey, come back. Come back. Don't leave me here alone. Don't leave me here alone.
15: It's getting dark and all misty then. And that music. They
4: don't want to hear it. Who's playing that music? Stop it, oh, stop it, please. Stop, Father. Who are you calling
14: Father? Help me, Father. Father. what are you talking about? This is Kendall. Father, don't let them play that. I'm not your father. What's the matter?
17: Make them stop it, please. Make them
12: stop it, Help me, Father, help me. Help me.
15: Dr. Brooks, please. Elliot. What? Would you give him a message, please? Tell him... Tell Dr. Brooks I apologize for my behavior this morning and tell him that I must see him again. I've got to. In the morning, uh, oh, about ten o'clock. All right, thank you. Thank you very much.
4: And I stood there, doctor,
15: terrified, pleading for my father... That song all around me and... No one would help me. No one. Then the dream ended and I... I woke up. That was hours ago, but I... I can't seem to shake it off.
16: And you think it was that song you heard, that lullaby that upset you so?
15: Yes. It gave me that that same feeling of hurt and humiliation I used to have as a child. I called it my bad feeling.
16: Can you remember when you first had this bad feeling?
15: Yes, I was about six years old. One night, my mother and father were going out. Some men came to the house to call
4: for them, and my father brought me downstairs to meet them. (laughs) Well,
8: here she is, everybody. Here's Liza, and she's going to sing for you. (laughs) Oh, Helen, surely that's
9: not your child.
16: That's what they tell me.
9: But you're so gorgeous, and she's so... Well, what I mean is she doesn't look anything like you, and... Not like Bob, either. Well, perhaps they switch babies on you in the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> I'm perfectly content with Liza.
8: One beauty in the family is enough for
15: me. It went on and on like that. I wanted to shout, it's not true, it's not true. I am like my mother. But I just stood there. My heart
4: broke Bob. We simply got to
8: go. But Liza's going to sing, aren't you, dear? Come, darling, you remember it. My ship has sails that are made of seal.
12: My ship. has sails that are made of silk. The decks
15: are trimmed
12: with...
8: (laughs) Liza, what's the matter, dear? Liza!
15: I ran into my room. I had to get away from them, from their laughter. I felt ugly and ashamed. A year later, my mother died. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't. I loved her, but the tears just wouldn't come. My poor father. I watched him sitting there by himself hour after hour. The only way I knew how to make my... take my mother's place was to try to look like her, so one evening I stole into her closet and got out her blue evening gown, the one he loved the best.
16: A blue gown, I see.
15: At last, I thought, I was able to do something to please.
14: Liza, how dare you put on that dress? Take it off at once.
15: I had a terrible, convulsive
14: shock. Don't ever do that again. Go back to your room. Go back.
15: My father, whom I loved completely, had turned on me. I never tried to come close to him again. As I grew up, I buried myself in my schoolwork. I made up my mind that if I couldn't be anything else, I was going to be tops in my class. I never went to parties or dances, except one was graduation day. I remember I'd gone to the library. It was deserted that night except for one person. It was Ben. Ben had been chosen the handsomest boy in the class.
16: Hello, Liza.
15: Hello, Ben. What are you doing here? I mean, why aren't you at the dance?
14: How about you?
12: Oh, I... I had a headache.
14: You want to go to the dance with me? Young
12: yeah, man, This is a public life. Well, um, uh, where's Barbara, Ben? Huh? Barbara?
14: Uh Uh-huh. Oh, anymore. Oh. I'm not speaking to her, and she's not speaking to me. Honest, Liza, do you think a girl should flirt all the time?
15: Well, I imagine it's pretty difficult for Barbara not to flirt. She's so pretty.
8: Oh, heck. Why talk about Barbara? You're much nicer.
14: If you
17: please.
8: Oh, sorry. Uh, Look, what do you say we drop over just for sort of last dance with the kids,
15: huh? Well, I... I'll um, have to go home first to tell my dad. Oh,
9: swell. Well, come on, Liza. Let's skedaddle out of here.
15: I really didn't have to go and tell my father. I wanted to go home just to put on my party dress. Well, Ben called for me, and we walked down the street toward the high school.
14: You know, it's funny.
15: What's funny, Ben?
14: Well, it just dawned on me. You're awful pretty, Liza. Oh. Well... What's the matter? Don't you like me or something?
15: Oh, yes. Yes, I I do, but I... I just never thought you ever noticed me before.
14: I guess I didn't. Not very much. Boy, I'm a
8: sap.
12: What's that song, Liza? What song?
14: That song you're singing.
12: Oh, was I
15: singing?
14: Yeah, what is it?
15: Oh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Just something I remember. I think when I was a little child, I used to sing it or something. Oh,
14: but it's nice. Go on, sing it.
15: Oh, Ben,
14: I... Oh, go on.
12: Well, all right, but I, I don't know if I remember it all. Let me see. Um, my ship has sails that I made of silk. The decks are trimmed with gold, and of jam and spice, there's a paradise in the whole la dee My ship's aglow with a million pearls, and a ruby spill each bare The sun sits high On a sapphire sky when my ship comes in. I can wait the years till it appears. One fine day, one spring. But the pearls and such, they don't mean much. If there's missing just one thing. I do not care if that day arrives That dream need never be If the ship I sing doesn't also bring My own
4: true love to me If the ship
12: I sing doesn't also bring My own
14: Eliza,
9: look at me.
12: By Ben, you you kissed me.
9: Oh, I, I'm sorry.
12: Oh, well, that's all right, Ben. But I guess we'd better hurry up if we want to get to the dance.
4: Yeah.
12: I haven't had so much fun
14: all my life. I didn't know you could <laughs> dance so well, Liza. Thank
2: you, Ben. Ben? Oh, hello, Barbara. Oh, hello. Uh, Ben, could I talk to you for a minute?
8: Well, what for?
2: Uh, why, I... Well, I just want to talk to you, silly.
8: I
14: didn't know you were speaking to me.
2: I'm not. And I think you're the rudest boy I've ever known.
14: Oh, hey, wait a minute, Barbara. Oh, gosh, say, say excuse me for a minute, will you, Liza? Hey, Barbara. Sure,
2: ben. Barbara.
16: Sure. And Ben didn't come back, did he, Miss Ellie? No, Dr. Brooks. Well, there are certainly a lot of pieces. Suppose I try to put them together. As a little girl, you convince yourself you're ugly, decidedly inferior. So you build a wall around yourself. As an older girl, you drop your defenses for one crucial moment, receive another cruel blow, and withdraw forever after as a woman.
15: What does that mean, withdraw as a
16: woman? You resolved never again to risk being hurt as a woman, competing against other women. You buried all your painful memories, and with them, that little song which expresses the fulfillment of love. You proceeded to escape in a loveless world of work. But it
15: wasn't loveless. I loved Kendall Nessie. No,
16: Miss Elliot, you dominated him, just as you've attempted to dominate all men, to force all men to accept you as their
9: superior.
15: All right, What's the answer?
16: Perhaps a man will dominate you.
15: Oh, silly, isn't it, that a grown woman should be governed by the desperate desires of her childhood?
16: Do you agree with me?
15: I feel better. Lots better.
16: Do you agree with me?
15: I don't know. I don't know.
17: this morning,
14: Charlie? She hasn't come in yet. Oh, Maggie, wait a minute. How long have I worked here? Too long. Six years. That's a long time in a world of women.
17: Charlie, what makes you such a heel? If you tell, tell Liza you're sorry for what you
12: said yesterday, okay, I'll... Okay, okay. Okay what?
14: Okay, I'll apologize. I know now I was wrong. Well? I saw her last night. I got to look at her without that brick front. Underneath Maggie, she's quite a gal. Oh, my goodness. You suspected me for a long time, you old battle axe. You know, I'm kind of sick of trying to be cute. Yes, here's a secret. Inside, I'm as romantic as the devil. And outside? Oh, Galway, Maggie, you're a hard woman. You said it. But when Liza comes in, you apologize. I promise. You're really not such a louse after all.
12: Oh, uh, Miss Morgan. Yes? Uh, Miss Elliot in. She'd like to see you right away. Uh, Randy Curtis is with her. Hmm. Morning, Liza. Hello, Maggie.
15: Well, where is he? Randy? Uh-huh. Telephoning. Hollywood's been paging him all morning. Mm-hmm. And stop looking like an owl, Maggie. I just happened to meet him on the street corner after I left the doctor. Well, well, well. Yes, and I'm glad I did. You might not suspect it, Maggie, but Randy is a very domineering young man. How
9: domineering?
15: Brace yourself, Maggie. He's asked me to marry him. Liza! Maggie, I'm learning about someone I never knew before. Myself. It's frightening and wonderful. I'm giving up the magazine, and I'm giving up hiding and running away. When
17: did you ever run away? Oh,
15: lots of times. Only now I know why I ran. I wanted someone to lean on to take care of me. Oh, Maggie, be happy for me,
12: please. I think I've found the answer. Darling, I am happy for you. It's what I've always hoped for you. Mm, Thank you, Maggie. But while you're still the boss, there are a few things I'd like you to okay. Well, just bring them in. Right away. Oh, I'm sorry.
16: Hello, Maggie. Kendall, come in. Well, Liza, this is it, isn't it? Between us, I mean.
15: Yes, Kendall.
16: I guess I've known it for a long time. But somehow, somewhere, find a place for me in your life. Will you, Liza?
15: Kendall, you'll you'll always be very, very dear to me.
16: All this time, Liza. And in ten seconds, it's all over. Well, maybe that's the best way. I'll be seeing you.
12: Oh, Miss Elliott, Miss Curtis through
17: this call. Oh, we'll send him in. Oh, Russell and Allison are having another row. Mr. Johnson was looking
15: for you. Let him wait. Oh, Mr. Curtis.
9: Oh, Liza, I've got great news. Hmm? You want me to form my own producing unit. Make me the boss. Stories, production, profits, everything.
15: Well, that sounds wonderful, Randy. I don't know anything about the picture business, but I... Oh, I've been I battling
9: it's... for it for a year. But this is what I mean, Liza. Yes. If I knew that you'd be in back of me, that... Uh-huh. Well, that, that you'd be in charge of the whole thing, just as you're here, I'd tell him yes in a minute. Would you do it, Liza?
15: I'm not sure I understand, Randy.
9: Oh, it's simple, darling. It just means that you'll still be the boss. Oh, Liza, I can't tell you what it means to me, knowing that I can be running to you for the rest of my life. The rest of your life. And now, just one kiss and I'll get out. Oh, I'll be back, though. Oh, gosh, thanks, Liza.
15: Thank you, Randy. And thank you for telling me.
9: Be back at five.
15: Oh,
17: hello, Mr. Curtis. Eliza, I demand a showdown, an immediate showdown. Do you realize what Johnson has done to me? He deliberately took my color plate. Russell, Russell, not now. Not now, not now. What am I supposed to do to get some attention around here? Bleed in front of you? Russell, the dog The Papa wants to see you. Oh, that's good. That is fine. Really, I could spit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven,
14: eight, nine, ten. <laughs> I'm supposed to apologize to you, Liza, for what I said the other day. Who said so? Maggie and I.
15: All right, Johnson. Put them up. This is the kids'
14: last fight. Well, look, I've been thinking it over quietly, and I've decided I'm not going to apologize. I'm sorry, but I can't help it. I know I've been pretty rotten to you, Liza, and I've kicked myself for it afterwards. But there's always been that secret battle between us from the very beginning, and I've always had to win it because... Well, because I'm me, I guess. Johnson, I... Wait I'm... a minute, I'm not finished yet. just wanted you to know that. And now that I'm leaving, in spite of all your shenanigans, I think you're fine. Well, I turned in the Hattie Carnegie layout to Paxton, so I guess that washes me up.
15: Johnson, or Charlie, if I may, do me a favor. Give me back that paperweight and stay, will you? What? Look... I know all your reasons for wanting to leave, but it seems as though I'm getting a divorce from myself, and I think you ought to stick around and see the fun. What do you say?
14: Sorry, but I'm sure it wouldn't work. Oh.
15: Uh Uh-huh. I see what you mean. Well, uh, why don't we run the magazine together? After a while, I might even step aside and, well, that is, if you don't get too drunk with power.
14: You mean that, Liza?
15: Yes. And give me back that paperweight just as a token you intend to stay. Because I want you to stay very much.
14: Here. Yeah. Catch. Thanks. You got a minute?
15: Mm-hmm.
14: Here. Now, look at this format. Uh-huh. That's the first thing I want to change. You got a layout?
15: Yeah, right on my desk.
14: I'll show you what I mean. Now, look, instead of having the name on top... Yes? Why not put it over here?
15: Oh, and change the type, too, huh? Why not?
14: You mentioned that yourself months ago. Oh, well,
15: I know I did. Oh, just a minute.
12: Uh, Maggie! I want you to see something.
14: I mean. Uh, but look, Charlie,
15: we can't get this ready for the Easter issue.
14: Sure, we can. You can? I've got a dummy issue in my office. Let me get it. I'll be right back.
12: Well,
15: oh, come in, Maggie.
12: Oh, be
14: nice to me, Maggie. I'm your new boss now.
12: Would you mind telling me what the devil goes on
15: around here? Maggie. <laughs> Maggie, I almost made a great mistake. I almost twisted up my whole life all over again. You did, huh? I might have married Randy Curtis. I thought he was a refuge, a tower of strength. Well, you know the parts he plays and, and the things he... But, Maggie, he, he's just what Kendall is. He, he, he needs a mother, not a wife. But, Liza... Maggie, I, I don't think you'll have to worry about Liza anymore. I think I'm going to be all right. Now, get out of here. Well, uh, I'll
14: be. Excuse me, Mag. Here it is. See what I mean? You see what that does for the whole magazine?
15: Yeah, yeah. Now, now let me sit down here. I'd let... better sit oh. down.
14: What are you doing down there?
15: Oh, just having a few laughs.
14: Well, get up. Now, look. You put the ads back here, see? Uh-huh, yeah. on the color section up in front. Yeah. Well, what about that? Sure. Well, it sounds dangerous, but it could be great.
15: Ah, uh, well, go on. What did you say? I said, um, go on and, and do whatever you're going to do. Really? Well,
14: sure. Maybe, I've been waiting to do this for years. <clears throat>
17: oh, Liza, I... Right. Well, this is the end. The absolute end.
20: Screen director's assignment... Production The Sky's the Limit, director Edward H. Griffith, star Fred Astaire. The Hollywood screen directors present a romantic incident with incidental music. For the first time on the air, The Sky's the Limit, starring Fred Astaire in his original role and introducing the director of the film, Edward H. Griffith. Some 24 years devoted to the creation of films have convinced tonight's guest screen director of one cardinal truth, that you can't create what you don't feel. Thus, in his mind, screen directing and the seeking of adventure have become synonymous. From the Arctic to the tropics, he has searched out a wealth of experience in order to bring a distinctive quality of realism to such films as Holiday, Animal Kingdom, Cafe Metropole, and Bahama Passage. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of The Sky's the Limit, Mr. Edward H. Griffith.
18: Thank you. It was only a few years ago that a new kind of motion
7: picture literature came to our screen. The story of the war was being told, and the sky's the limit told part of it from a unique vantage point. Not from a battlefield overseas, but from a furlough in New York. Today, there's a surprising nostalgic appeal to this story of romance on the edge of the unknown. A story told as it was lived so many times with a chuckle, an offhand gesture. Now here it is The Sky's the Limit, starring Fred Astaire as Jerry Burton. You gentlemen care for another drink? Bourbon and soda here. Reg, what about you? Uh, No, nothing, thanks, Jerry. Excited, huh? (laughs) You said it. Last week, I was a million miles away from Peggy, and now... Now you're going to have a wife again. For a little while, she's going to have a husband. (laughs) It's a funny war. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny war, all right. Last week, you and Reg were flying thunderbolts over Germany. Tonight, you're in civilian clothes, sitting at the bar of the Colonial Club in New York, and it feels great. They'd sent you home for one of those public relations tours. Now the speeches are over, you have seven days leave, and you've made up your mind to do nothing but have a little fun pretending you're a civilian. And forget your captain, Jerry Burton. Come on, Jerry. Peggy's train's due in half an hour. She and I... We don't have much time. You watch Reg's face. You add everything up, and in a way, you're glad you're lonely. You're glad nobody's going to be waiting for you when you go back. Gosh, Jerry, I don't want to be late for that train. (laughs) You go ahead, Reg, old boy. Have a good lead. No more reporters, no more interviews. What about you? Me? Oh, I'm strictly for laughs. I think I'll spend the week being a civilian. (laughs) I'd like to get into civvies myself. Maybe I'll plant a sleeping bag under the bar and set up light housekeeping. How's that? (laughs) Big time, huh? (laughs) Yeah, go on, beat it, kid, and give my regards to Peg. Okay, see you next week, Jerry. So long. Reg walks out, and that neat gray business suit you've got on feels kind of strange. Then you look down the bar and you see a girl. She's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen. Just like that, you know exactly how you're going to spend your leave. Another drink, sir? No, no, that, that girl at the end of the bar. You know her name? Oh, sure. Jean Mannion. She's a photographer. Who, who's the fellow she's talking to? Phil Harriman. Nice guy. He's her boss. He publishes Eiffel. She certainly is. No, I mean that high-class picture magazine. She's going to take pictures here tonight. Thanks. They seem to be arguing. Maybe they need a referee. <laughs>
18: Jean, I love you, but please let me run my magazine my own way. The
0: whole world is exploding, Phil. Why can't I go to Russia or China instead of photographing stupid nightclub celebrities?
18: Oh,
7: miss, would you be interested in taking my picture? Who are you? I'm directly descended from the guy who ate the
18: first oyster. Uh,
0: I see the resemblance. Go away. (laughs) Look, Phil, why not give me a chance to go overseas?
18: Jean, I like you here. I I don't want you traipsing all over the world like Uh, a... Like a three-legged antelope. Like a three-legged antelope. Uh, Hey, that doesn't make sense. That's what you get for eavesdropping. Oh,
0: that man is impossible. Hand me my camera, Phil. I'm going to work.
18: Now, that's what I call a fascinating girl. Yeah, she sure is. She makes me tingle all over. Hey, do I know you? No, but don't don't apologize. I've got
7: news for you. I think we're going to have something in common. Indeed? What? I'm beginning to tingle, too.
0: Hold it, please, Mrs. Kraft. Thank you.
7: Hello there.
0: Oh, it's you again.
7: <laughs> Exciting, isn't it?
0: Just what do you want, Mr., uh, whatever your name is?
7: Jerry Burton. Burton's the name. It's this way. There I was, minding my own business, easing my way through a bourbon and soda, when suddenly I looked up... I'm terribly
0: busy, Mr. Burton. And
7: there you were. There you stood, Jean, the most beautiful, the most enchanting, the most... the most desirable, the most fascinating woman I'd ever seen in all my life.
0: <laughs> Pardon me, but your adjectives are showing.
7: <laughs> all I said to myself was, Jerry... You're in love
0: That's fine Now, if you'll pardon me You
7: you mean you're not going to dance with me?
0: I most certainly am not Stop dragging me don't
7: make a scene You dance divinely
0: Uh, You know, you interest me
7: Oh, I'm just a little thing my mother dreamed up
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean purely in a psychological way
7: I was afraid of that Well, if I never see you again This will be my shining hour Calm and happy and bright In my dreams your face will flower Through the darkness of the night
0: Say, who are you, anyway?
7: Oh, let's... let's say I kind of dropped in from the clouds.
0: Oh, I bet they miss you up there.
7: (laughs) I'll be going back, but right now I'm gonna take you home.
0: I still don't know why I'm letting you walk me home. Mm,
7: just one of those things. Why do owls stay up late? Who knows why? I... Hey, look. I found a penny. Here, put it in your shoe. <laughs> For luck.
0: Yeah, Maybe you need it.
7: Uh-uh. I-, I couldn't be luckier than I am right now. Here with you.
0: But you don't even know me.
7: In my business, you get to know people fast.
0: What is your business, anyway?
7: Oh, just... Drifting around.
0: Uh, You know something? There's a war going on. Did you ever think about just drifting into that?
7: Yeah, I've thought about it.
0: Just not interested? Not right now. Really? Don't you even have a job?
7: Not at the moment.
0: Mm. Well, I suggest you find
7: one. Okay, maybe I'll get a job, honey, just for you. What are you doing tomorrow?
0: Photographing a construction job.
7: Oh, where?
0: 56th and 3rd Avenue. Well, this is where I live.
7: Oh, very nice.
0: Oh, thanks for the penny.
7: Money means nothing to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Jerry.
7: Good night, Jean. Wow. A girl like that at a time like this. Well, what do you know? <whistles>
0: jackhammer a little to the left. That's fine. There, good picture. Many thanks. Hey, lady, how
7: about me? Do you think this shovel matches my eyes? <clears throat> you working? You made me what I am today. <laughs> oh, I
0: take back everything I said about you.
7: Hey, buddy, you are looking for a job? Why, um, um oh, 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 yeah, you sure, sure. Just a
0: minute. Isn't this man working for you? No. Why, you
7: I'm, I'm working. Do I have to get paid for it? Yes, you do. That your wife, buddy? Yeah, listen, Pop, come here. Okay. I'm out of work, see? She's yeah. driving me crazy. Follows me around. Lady, that ain't no way to be.
0: You keep out of this.
6: Buddy, if my wife done this, I'd bust her right in the nose.
7: But <laughs> you see, I can't, because she... It's... It's... it's,
4: it's, it's, it's
16: Oh yeah, that sometimes makes some kind of temporary screwball.
19: Oh, so now I'm screwball,
16: lady. These things happen every day.
0: Oh,
7: of all the arrogant! Oh, there she goes. Uh, hey, hey, Pop, here's your shovel. Gene, Gene. There's still nothing like a good bust in the nose. Gene, oh, Gene.
0: Seriously, are you crazy?
7: If I am, it's your fault. Oh,
0: Jerry, why don't you come back to Earth?
7: I will, someday.
0: Why not today? Ever work for a publishing firm?
7: Oh, there you go again. Work, work, Yeah, I've hacked around a few newspapers, yeah.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Why? I want you to see the man I work for, Phil Harriman. I'll speak to him about a job.
7: On one condition. What's that? Dine with me tonight.
0: Promise you'll go to
1: work?
7: I promise. Mm -hmm.
0: Good night, Jerry. It's been a wonderful evening.
7: Jean, do you mind if I ask you a question? No. Uh, h- how come you never married your boss?
0: Why do I stay up late? <laughs> I don't know.
7: Well, he's in love with you. Even I could see that last night.
0: Oh, Feels awfully nice, but not the right man, I guess.
7: What's he like? The right man?
0: Oh, Wordsworth put it pretty well. How? a creature not too bright or good for human nature's daily food, for transient sorrows, simple wiles, praise, blame, love, kisses, tears, and smiles.
7: Jean, there's something you ought to know. I'm not... Oh,
0: Jerry, look, don't tell me what you're not. Tell me what you are.
7: A guy with you in his eyes. That's all. Oh, Jerry. Jean.
0: I think I'd better go in.
7: I wish you wouldn't.
0: You won't forget about tomorrow.:
7: I won't forget. What's tomorrow??
0: Well, you're going to ask Phil for a job.
7: Oh, all that, yeah, yeah, sure.. sure. <laughs> right. Good night, baby. ride a pink cloud back to the Colonial Club for a nightcap. Just a quiet drink and a lot of thinking. More thinking than you ever dreamed you were capable of. Then all of a sudden, Reg pops in and the cloud explodes. That's right, Jerry. leave's canceled. Mm. I figured you'd come back here sooner or later. How long have we got? We're flying back day after tomorrow. But but why? What's the rush? Say, there's a big fighter sweep on. We've lost a lot of planes. They want us back. Well, that's it. That does it. Hey, where are you going? For a little walk, i got a few things I want to think about.
20: Listening to the Hollywood Screen Director's presentation of The Sky's the Limit, starring Fred Astaire with Sharon Douglas, and introduced by the director of the film, Edward H. Griffith.
0: kept your word. You came to the office.
7: Jean, I... Look, I, I want to tell you something. Look,
0: darling, don't get cold feet now. This is your big chance. I told Phil all about it. But,
7: you. Jean, you, you don't understand. Oh,
0: now you come with me. Here's Phil's office. You can go right in.
7: Jean, can't we... Uh, will you listen to me for a minute, please? No, I...
0: darling, and here's something for luck.
7: Oh, say, it's, it's the lucky penny.
0: Uh, in case that doesn't work, here's something else for luck.
7: I... Oh. Okay, Jean...
18: We'll do it your way. I'll be waiting. Huh? Oh, hi. I remember you. You're Burton, the fellow Gene's been talking about. Jerry's the name. Well, I'm Phil, Jerry. Sit down. Thanks. Now, uh, frankly, Jerry, are you serious about a job? Frankly, Phil, no. <laughs> well, that's that. Uh, you, uh... You don't play gin rummy, do you? Oh, a little bit. Well, I, I just happen to have a deck of cards on my desk. Is this the way you treat everybody who walks in here? Oh, just the people I like. I'll deal. Go ahead. Mind if I talk while we play? About what? You. I, I've heard a lot about you. Through Miss Mannion, of course. Uh, you want that card? No. Um, you don't want to talk about me. You want to talk about Jean. You sure like to toss off those low ones, don't you? Well, I play a rather unorthodox game. So do I. Tell me something. Why don't you marry Jean? What? You wouldn't be in love with her yourself, would you? We're not talking about me. You want this, Queen? Uh, No. Go on. Sure, I like
7: Jean. I I, I've liked a lot of girls.
18: But you don't want to marry, huh? Live alone and wolf it.
7: Yeah.
18: When I I do marry, it'll, it'll be someone like...
7: Well, like uh, a creature not too bright or good for human nature's daily food, for transient sorrows, simple wiles, praise, blame, love,
18: kisses, tears, and smiles. Kisses, tears, hey, that's very good. Wordsworth, isn't it? Yeah, that, that belongs to the, to the one girl I'll never forget.
7: Say, what's the name of this game? Uh, Gin. That's just what I've got. Thanks, Phil. I win. <clears throat> So long, Phil. See you around.
0: Jerry! Jerry, did you get the job?
7: Here's your lucky penny. Did it work? No, neither do I.
0: Did... Didn't Phil want to take you on?
7: I didn't want to go on.
0: But, Jerry, you promised... I changed
7: my mind. You know how it is.
0: Sure, I know. All right, Mr. Fun and Games. We both made a mistake. <laughs>
18: Me out of your office?
0: No, Phil, I'm glad you came in.
18: Uh, Jean, this Burton fellow, he, he was the big thing, wasn't he?
0: Why don't you tell me what a sap I was?
18: I'll tell you what a sap you can still be. Marry me, Jean. Oh,
0: really, Phil?
18: Well, you see, Jean, I, I need somebody like you. Um, a creature not too bright. What? Well, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> uh, a creature not, not too bright or good for, uh, for...
0: For human nature's daily food. Uh,
18: who told you?
0: I told Jerry.
18: You told... Then you're the girl, the one he'll never forget.
0: He... he said that?
18: Oh, somehow I'm beginning to suspect I've botched this thing but good.
0: Oh, but you haven't, Phil. If Jerry said that, it means he... he... What does it mean?
18: Don't worry, honey. Just leave everything to your Uncle Phil.
7: Another bourbon straight. Coming up. Hey, bartender. Yeah? If I should die, think only this of me. That there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever... The
18: Colonial Club. Colonial Club. Yeah. Hi, Jerry. Oh. Oh, hello, Phil. Kind of figured I'd find you here. Nice fearing. Any special reason? Oh, I like your style of gin rummy. (laughs) Brought the cards. Deal them. Mind if I talk while we play? About what? You. I've heard a lot about you. Through Miss Manning, of course. Want that card? Yeah, I'll take it. I think I understand what happened. What's the difference? You're afraid of being in love, aren't you? You play a lousy game of But <laughs> well, I'm improving, Captain Burton. How'd you find out about me? Oh, heroes have a way of getting their pictures into the newspaper. I know, hero. That yeah, yeah. Uh, Want that card? No. Does Gene know the truth? No.
7: Do me a favor, Phil. What? Don't tell her.
18: Well, suppose she loves you. Come on, play your cards. Look, I want to see her happy. So do I. Want to make a deal? What kind? You beat me once at this game. I don't think you can do it again.
7: And if I don't?
18: If you don't, I tell Jean the truth.
7: You're on. Pull a
18: card. Right. Uh, I'll try a knock with two. Uh-uh. That's not good enough. I've got one. Oh, looks like I'm blitzed.
7: Yep. I'm a lucky guy. What about Jean? She'll forget it. Will you? Look, I'm not really living. I'm just walking a tightrope between here and there, see? I want to walk it alone, nobody to break the fall. For a while, somebody almost got hurt. Now it's fixing its swell and... Is it? And, oh, do me a favor, Phil, marry her, will you?
18: Can I give you a lift? No, I'm,
7: I'm going to stick around a while. Thanks. Good luck. So long. Hey, bartender. Yeah? Leave the bottle on the bar and give me a fistful of change for the jukebox. Sure. Thanks. Mac, come on. We're going to close up. Let me have some more change. Okay. But it's late. This is the last time. It's late. Last time. Right. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me So set up, Joe I've got a little story you ought to know We're drinking, my friend To the end of a brief episode Make it one for my baby And one more for the road I got the routine So drop another nickel In the machine I'm feeling so bad I wish you'd make the music Dreamy and sad Could tell you a lot But that's not In a gentleman's code. Make it one for my baby And one more for the road You'd never know it But, buddy, I'm a kind of poet And I got a lot of things to say And when I'm gloomy You simply gotta listen to me Until it's talked away Well, that's how it goes And, Joe, I know you're getting anxious to close Oh, thanks for the beer I hope you didn't mind My bending your ear Don't let it be said Little Jerry can't carry his load Make it one for my baby And one more for
6: the road That long, long road
0: see me Phil
18: uh, yes uh, Jean are you sure you don't want to marry me
0: oh hell please uh, yeah
18: yeah yeah yeah. well in that case I might as well be noble about this I've got an assignment for you
0: oh a good one you
18: know those fighter pilots who were sent back home the ones the papers made such a fuss over I read about them. well they're going back overseas today so grab your camera and get out to LaGuardia
0: bride. Right. Hey, is there anything else I should know
18: Yes. Your boss is a half-baked idiot. Now, move fast. You haven't got much time.
7: It's been a great leave. Just great. You're walking across the tarmac toward the waiting transport plane. Your stomach feels like a pretzel doing a loop, and there's something else there. Loneliness. Loneliness is so bad, you wish you were a kid again so you could... cry. And then somebody's yelling at you Captain, my magazine
0: would like a few pictures, would you mind? I've had
7: enough pictures, Oh, it'll
0: only take a minute. Jerry.
7: Jean, what? It can't be you. Oh, say it again, I think I'm dreaming.
0: But you are... Oh, darling.
7: So Phil told you.
0: No, no, he just sent me to cover the story. I didn't know.
7: I wanted to tell you, but... What
0: didn't you? Why didn't Uh,
7: you? A guy like me, it's no good.
0: A guy like you? A girl like me?
7: Oh, Jerry, it's always good. I must have been crazy. Hey, Jerry, come on! That's my buddy. We're we're taking off. Darling! uh... I'll I'll, I'll be back. We'll have this war licked in no time, honey. Sure you will. Oh, Jean, I I love you.
0: You wonderful dope. Goodbye. You've got to come back to me.
7: A little kiss for luck.
0: Take our penny, the lucky penny.
7: You You keep it. For both of us. Give my regards to Wordsworth. Suddenly, you're airborne. As the plane wheels over the base, you see her down below, waving. And just like that, you know everything's gonna be all right. Everything's gonna be swell.
1: Excellence. That was Ginger Rogers in Lady in the Dark and Fred Astaire in The Sky's the Limit.
6: Things have come to a pretty pass Our
5: romance is growing flat Cos you like this and the other
6: While I go for this and that Goodness knows what the end will be Oh, I don't know where I'm at It's plain to see We two will never make one Something must be done
5: you say either, and I say either. You say neither, and I say neither. Either, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like
6: potato, and I like patata. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, patata, tomato, tomato. Oh, let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. And oh, if we ever part, then that might break my heart. So if you like pajamas, and I like pajamas, I'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas. So we know we need each other. So we better call the calling off off. Oh, let's call the thing off.
10: You say laughter, and I say laughter. You say after, and I say after, laughter, laughter, after, after, let's call the whole thing off. You like Havana, and I like Havana. You eat banana, and I eat banana. Havana, Havana, banana, banana, let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must pause. and oh, if we ever part, then that might break my heart. So if you like oysters and I like ersters, I'll take oysters and give up ersters. No, mm-hmm. we no we need each other, so we better call the calling off, Oh. let's call the whole thing off.
1: Shame they never adapted any of their RKO movies for radio, but actually, one of their hits did make it to the air. I'll be presenting that particular radio play, which has Edward Everett Horton in it, I might add, in the next bonus at a boy Clarence show, which is out in a few days. In fact, I'll be reviewing all of the other Fred and Ginger films over the coming weeks on the bonus shows and bringing you more radio appearances from Fred and Ginger to go with them. So if you want more, then why not sign up at patreon.com slash and gain instant access to over 50 of these shows that are entirely exclusive to you on your very own private podcast feed. Yes, hundreds of hours of more content ready right now for you. Also, you'll get monthly invites to Film Club Night where you and I will watch movies in our very own private online screening room. This month, we're watching a Fred or Ginger movie, depending on who wins your vote. Also, you get previews and early access to The Secret History of Hollywood, never-before-released shows of that series too, movie commentaries, ebooks, emails, your name in the credits of every podcast I make, all the bonus content you could wish for. Just go to patreon.com slash and sign up now. It costs pennies per month, and you'll be helping to make these shows, literally. I can't make them without your help, so thank you in advance. And if you're already signed up, then thank you, thank you. I love you so much. I'll be back in a fortnight with some fabulous B-movies to tell you about, but until then, take awfully good care of yourselves. From myself, Fred, Ginger, Eric, Edward and the gang. Bye for now.